Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We are your tough love work friends, talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer, currently so bored I'm trying to train my dog to talk, Katie McDonald. And here is your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole. Stop begging for a promotion. Start selling your genius. Currently considering bedazzling her cats, Heather MacArthur. <laughs> it's gotten it's gotten bad. <laughs> our our pets are our outlet. They are our uh, inspiration. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm uh I'm I'm actually glad that I don't have a bedazzler at home because I I feel like a lot of things would have happened so far because I've had way too much time to consider these things. We've we've had the time. You've got the cats. It's only <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you got the time and you got the cats. <laughs> we've got to find a creative outlet. Well, yeah. <laughs> For the love. I know. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, we're walking listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career advancement. And you know, we're we're focused on tackling the the unique challenge of shelter at home and trying to do your career advancement. Uh, but most importantly, helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career will look like for you. Uh, this episode, we're still in lockdown and looking for lessons to be learned from the lunacy. So let's get started. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the top 10 we did uh, at the end of last year before we knew what a hot mess 2020 was going to be. Yeah, we were so... Oh, we were so sparkly and ambitious and naive. <laughs> I'm calling it the before times. Yeah, it yes. was a good... Uh... <laughs> B-2020. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm also crying. Yeah. Um... Yes, I concur. So I would love it. Do you mind starting us off with some of our uh, our lessons learned so far from this lunacy? Yeah. So I, the the main thing that I'm seeing that a lot of people are struggling with is if when they left, um, if your situation is that you've either you're a, an essential employee and you're, you're working a ton or your group was sent home to shelter in, in, at home, if there was conflict or a lack of trust, I've seen it go, go one or two ways. One, some of the best of ourselves starts to show up and people have been able to see each other in a different circumstance and kind of go, okay, actually, you know, I'm not mad at you for always using the red stapler or whatever. But on the other hand, I've seen where because it was raw and ugly before all this happened, it is just becoming nastier and nastier. And so um, this idea that you can't see people in place or people at higher stress levels, they've got personal stuff going on conflict skills are just that much more critical. And I'd say, how can you show up and be your best self and not react? And we've mentioned it before to be the thermostat versus the thermometer. And what I've been trying to coach people on is to engage based off of how do you want to feel about yourself through the situation? And if losing it with the person or being passive aggressive or rude, um, I doubt that that's going to add to your feeling at peace and, and positive. And so really having to be the thermostat and just, just assigning kind of good intent, room for being a human and understanding not everyone's able to show up and be their best selves, that they're kind of letting all the stress take them over. And it's not about turning the other cheek or becoming a martyr. It's just you don't have to get sucked into that kind of tennis match. 
you could step out and go, what's the best thing for all involved in this conversation? Now is a very critical time because people will absolutely be remembering what it felt like to work with you during this time. That's amazing because that was also on uh, my top 10 <laughs> uh, in, in both the, the personal and the corporate form. This is an opportunity to really see under duress the people, including ourselves and the people that we're working with and the companies with which we're interacting right now are showing up uh, more themselves. Everybody's true colors are showing. Their freak flags are flying, for better and for worse. We're we're hearing in the media every day about organizations that are making um, making personnel decisions and also uh, community reinvestment decisions that either are very corporate centric and uh, C-suite centric, or they're very much in tune with what the health, safety, and financial needs are for their clients, for their customers, for their employees. And on a personal level, exactly what you said, we're all showing up as a more stressed, more bored version of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I like the more bored. Yeah, bored doesn't bring out the pretty in us, that's for sure. But I and I'd say for that, I agree with you is I think you're seeing, um, especially with companies, you're, you're getting to see what's the real culture of this company. And I don't mean that in a bad or good way. I mean, is it fear-based or is it optimistic-based? Is it, and, and you know, with, a, with the layer of realism, it's, it's, you're seeing the companies that go, look, I'm, I'm able to look at the bigger picture and not get sucked into whether or not we're going to survive and, you know, who's going to get the most you know, beings out of this. And yeah, when you see companies where they are rewarding the C-suite and letting go of the front line, one, it's just not a good business strategy, especially in social media age. Like you can't get away with this stuff anymore. People are aware of it. Um, but the hungry, hungry hippo stuff that shows up whenever people are scared <laughs> is, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what happened with all the toilet paper and everything. People panicked and they went after all that stuff and, you know, started hoarding everything. And on one hand, we can go, oh, what a bunch of horrible people. But it's out of fear. It's not like they were sitting there going like, I am going to score me some TP today. Like <laughs> they are, they're freaked out and they made an interesting decision as to, and what's interesting is it, it clearly was large amounts of people that got sucked into that because it's, and I even found myself at the grocery store going like, well, if ever, well, I mean, at some point I'm going to need this stuff. So should I get two, two, two things? And so it's just how the domino falls and this kind of like, let me survive and let me take care of myself and, you know, screw everybody else. I think on the other side, what's beautiful is we're seeing a lot of people who are being generous. And I know, I know this is not a story everywhere, but I, I saw where, you know, one landlord paid everybody's rent that month and was like, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're safe. There's also, of course, stories about landlords going, look, if you're not going to pay, you need to let me know because I want you out. And Mm. I just, I'm like, God, for the long haul, you know how much it costs to find another tenant? And if they're a good tenant and they pay their rent and this is a unique situation, like, you know, I feel like I'm hearing more stories than not of people trying to work with each other than, you know, just it's, it's a doggy dog world kind of thing. It is. And that that actually ties into what you were talking about with conflict management skills and conflict resolution skills, taking a step back and taking the long view, whether on an individual level or if you are in a uh, decision-making position at one of these companies, take the long view. Yeah. And I think that that leads leads to our, our third thing of, you know, especially in this situation, depending on where you are with things, 
essential work is no longer desperate work. And I, 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 I go back to, it was a year and a half ago. We talked about this on, on one of our uh, episodes where the actor from the Cosby show, I forgot, I'm so bad at names, um, but he was spotted and some woman videotaped him working at Trader Joe's and it turned into this whole thing and everybody was actually very supportive of him. And he, you know, Tyler Perry ended up giving him all kinds of roles. So, you know, you IMDb looked this, this guy up and he's got a lot of work right now, acting work. But there was this kind of talk of like, one, the, I know that woman taped him. It was like, oh, he's fallen from grace. He's working in a grocery store. He's bagging groceries. And now, I mean, my boyfriend does, delivers chips, you know, the Lord's work. And he's, he's working full time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> full time extra hours. And he, he tells me that he's in the grocery stores and people will stop him and go, you know, thank you for your service, which is, you know, kind of a thing that you say to, to military professionals and healthcare workers. But now the grocery and the delivery uh, industry of everybody working, like they're keeping us fed. And, uh, you know, they always did. They always did this work. But there's just this kind of attitude of it doesn't require some sort of four-year, you know, Ivy League degree. So it can't be that important. And we kind of try to think of ourselves as like, oh, well, this job is worthwhile or this job you should be ashamed of. And I just think that's ridiculous. Like if you're doing good work and it's paying whatever bills you've got and you, especially if you like your work or you, you're at least committed to it, um, I, I don't know. There's nothing more noble than that. I've seen a bunch of lazy people who are beginning paid six-figure salaries and doing horrible at their job and making their people's lives miserable. So you know, I just I hope that people don't quickly forget that the essential work um, is is not something to be looked down upon. And, you know, yeah, we're capitalists. It's a capitalist society and we're going to do supply and demand. So if there's a lot of people who can do that job, you're not going to get paid as much as a pro ball player who there's not that many people who can who can do that. But that doesn't mean that you have to be treated as if you're less than. That's the way I see it. Absolutely agreed. And uh, kind of the, the point that uh, we're both converging on is everybody comes out of whatever this, whatever the next phase is uh, from Corona times. <laughs> we, will, um, we, we have a pretty long term memory as a society. We're going to remember how these corporations responded. We're going to remember who stepped up and kept coming into people facing work, who those yeah. who those essential workers um are that kept putting their health and, you know, and well-being on the line to continue to deliver. So, yeah, I hope that that does change and comes becomes a long-term uh, shift in our thinking about what essential work is and how important it is. And that brings up uh, us non-essential workers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm apparently yep. not essential to the proceedings. <laughs> um, but it, we're finding out uh, really when put to the test that we can get more done virtually than we thought. Um, for those that find ourselves in even, I mean, corporate training, Heather, you and I have been in the training space uh, for low these many years. And up for much of that, it was a given that this was a face-to-face -face interaction. And mm -hmm. if that was not possible, we were not going to have opportunities. I know um, in talking to you, you have had all kinds of novel opportunities uh, crop up as a, a kind of a natural direction from what's going on right now with the lockdown. And my uh, opportunities to provide training are completely in the virtual space, but are still going strong. Um, what would this have looked like 20 years ago? I, it's, 
it sucks that this has to happen, but the fact that it's happening at a time where there is so much that can be done virtually is uh, is some is one of the silver linings. Yeah, I, I I mean I actually agree with you, and I you know twenty years ago, I mean the technology probably wasn't as good and it wasn't as commonplace in terms of people's smartphones and things like that. But I I think um, it's interesting because you've got people who have already been working from home for a long time. So this is not new to them. Um, I, but you know, it's funny, I was thinking about what is it a year ago and they had that thing go viral. I think the guy was on CNN and the, his kids come bursting in and, and it, the, you know, the, the, the wife comes in and ushers the kids out and he got, you know, angry or whatever. Cause of course that's like the worst thing that can happen. It's so unprofessional. And now everybody's having these, cause it's not just work from home. It's, shelter at home and kids are home from school and they can't go to school. So you've got people with kids crawling all over them, pets all over the place. And this whole idea of like, oh, you've got to stay buttoned up and, you know, have your tie on or whatever. I think it's really gone to the wayside because it's just, it's kind of unrealistic compared to what a lot of people are kind of tackling. And there's a little bit of a niceness to that because 20 years ago, it was very much leave your personal at home and Mm -hmm. don't let it mesh with your professional. And it was this, as if, as if anything about your personal being brought in uh, would just somehow suck out the productivity. And I think a lot of people are, I think it's a different way of being productive because I think people are struggling with, okay, how do I set boundaries at home and whatnot? But I know for me, I get so much done and I, you know, I, I, I love doing in-person training, but if I do something online, there's not the back and forth commute. There's not the extra time spent before and after the session so it's much more efficient in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. And the common understanding that you're pointing to about the fact that we're all kind of in the same boat. We all have significant others or roommates or other people that are also working for or kids that are also, you know, working from home and we have to share the space and we're all going to get a glimpse into each other's lives. I think by default creates a little bit more of that humanity that we share when we all physically show up to the same workspace. Uh, You know, we don't have a water cooler to physically gather around right now because we're all going to get coronavirus, but but we can get to see, I mean, you can do a a goat to meeting where you can actually rent a goat to to show up and pop up in your Zoom meetings and your go to meetings. Like, yeah, uh, these zookeepers will, uh, right? Well, don't think I'm not looking into it, but. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I want a goat in my meeting. Um. But there's all kinds of ways to infuse humor and get people connected on an interpersonal level. It may never be the same as face-to-face meetings. I hear you. I miss the face-to-face a lot as well. Um, But there is a lot of opportunity to collaborate and to have that shared sense of community because we're not being so stodgy about like, we'll leave your personal life at home. Well, now we're all at home. So what you going to do? Well, uh, yeah. And I think it's a little bit like, I don't think it's, you know, either or. I think it's the same thing as email didn't replace the need to have interpersonal communication, but it did get rid of a lot of long conversations that maybe didn't need to happen that it made getting kind of the tactical stuff. Now people still don't, you know, they hide behind the email instead of having the actual dialogue. Um, But I see email as a tool to make things more efficient so that we can focus on quality dialogue when we're, when we're interacting with each other. And same thing goes for having things that are remote is let's handle the things that are the easiest that don't need that kind of personal touch and that can make things more efficient and time savvy. Um, so why not, why isn't it, why isn't the remote kind of capability more of a tool that just 
you know, we have to get really savvy at knowing when and how to use once the op, you know, once things are optional. Absolutely. And I want to throw out here just on a side note for the goat, I just keep thinking about was it VH1 that was like, who's having the best week ever? Um, yes. And I feel like the, the goat <laughs> is having the best year ever between goat yoga and now they're being invited into, <laughs> into the webinar. <laughs> so if you're a goat, this is your year. They're a stand in for greatest of all time. If you call somebody a goat, that's like the ultimate. That's true. That's true. Yeah. The goat is like the new 2020s unicorn, I think. You know, they've been uh, overlooked for so long. I do. Yeah. I love, I love they goats. I, they, Plus, their stubbornness speaks to me. I, you know, it's the only animal that would, would be, you have to be stubborn to be able to survive this 2020 and come out, come out thriving. So good for you, goats. Right. Unofficial year of the goat. I know it's the year of the rat, but we'll, we'll call it the year of the goat. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then, you know, I think this kind of ties to, to a lot of this is because things are so much easier um, to do remotely because people's work world has kind of been shaken and we're seeing that essential work and, and a lot of these blue collar jobs, one, there's a huge demand for it. So uh, there's going to be industries that no matter what are, are going to be shaken up. And there's a lot of where the healthcare industry and not just doctors and nurses, but the people who are the frontline people and back of house and um, the grocery, the delivery, all these types of industries are just booming. And there's a lot of job opportunity there. And I think people are going to just start realizing that education happens in a lot of ways. I think one, the value of being educated on the job, you know, because I think I see a lot of people who want their kids to be able to go and have the college experience. And my and I saw in my time as well as since then, the people that just went through college and didn't actually have a job, it's a lot harder for them to negotiate higher pay once they're out. Because I'm glad you were involved in clubs. That doesn't really make me think I should pay you more. And so balance, balancing that, I st- I'm 100% for education. I don't think there's anything wrong with a four-year uh, kind of college education, though I think colleges are really going to have to reevaluate how they go about with education. How do they make sure that it's applicable to real world? I think students coming out in this, this, this shock that they have, that they've got a four-year degree and they're still making start, starting salary pay, um, that they have these re- unrealistic expectations that the degree is somehow going to equal the extra pay. To me, the degree is the, the, the entrance fee that you pay to get in the club. Doesn't mean anyone's going to want to dance with you. Doesn't mean anyone's going to, you're going to have a good time. Uh, you might spill a drink. You might, you know, twist an ankle. You might get dumped in the middle of that. Like there's no guarantees. The degree just gets you in the club. It gets you some access that without the degree, there's certain jobs you wouldn't even be able to apply for. It's and the so ID I, that you flash at the door. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And that's it. And I, you know, cause there was times where I was like, I don't really, think that I know how to do my job. I shouldn't have to get a master's degree, but I'm like, I, I don't want to miss out getting in those doors. I know once I'm in, I'm going to bust the move, you know, and really kind of, <laughs> there's my nineties coming through. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think this, this idea of a degree, um, is, is not the only way to get education and people are going to really broaden that and colleges and universities are going to have to go, are we really designed to serve uh, our our clients, which are the students? And if not, how do we reshape? How do we rework? And you're already seeing some of this with Harvard and and a lot of those places that are Ivy League schools, but now they're offering certificates and all these other things because, you know, the eliteness thing too of like, oh, that wonderful education is only available to the rich and the lucky. 
And I think knowledge is, is you're just not going to be able to have this kind of, you know, uh, control of the market anymore. Um, yes. And, uh, and kind of piggybacking on that, um, education being very specific to what you can do and pointing to, okay, well, not all, I have this degree, that's great, but let me show you what I can do with that. Um, this is, this lockdown is a great time for us individually to kind of start focusing on having the opportunities to enhance, tweak, or grow existing talents or something that you may not even know you're talented in, but you're interested and you haven't had the time previously to uh, take a look at, hey, you know, I, I have always wanted to take up crocheting or uh, or sewing or something. Maybe now I can get my Etsy off the ground to uh, sew cute little custom masks. Oh my gosh, custom masks. Let me just tell you. Oh, I just I just ordered a, a speaking of bedazzling, uh, <laughs> I just ordered a bedazzled uh, mask. With, and I have no shame about that. It's to match my bedazzled bike. So when I ride, no one gives me dirty looks that I'm not wearing the mask. I so love it. I love it. it. And I think it's genius because they're doing all kinds of like name brand, like designer brand uh, things. And I'm like, whatever gets people to, to wear what they're supposed to wear. But I'm like, the minute they made it sparkly, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm on board. No, but you're right. This is a great time. And that's, that's uh, especially now's a good time to learn about investing. That's a good time. There's just so much uh, education and opportunities that are online. And you know, you know, look at your career. If your career requires a certain degree level to be taken seriously or to be licensed, then you have to, you know, until the industry changes that, you have to, you have to pay the price to get in the club. But if you've gotten, like for me, I've gotten my master's, and what I saw is if I got a PhD, a lot of times they, I saw people go like, well, they might be too academic to come into this kind of corporate setting or blue collar setting or whatever. So for me, the sweet spot was a master's, and so since then. I've just been reading and got, getting certificates and, and doing all these. So the education never stopped. It's just at some point, the degree no longer became, it no longer helped me get into any more clubs. And if anything, they might've kept me out of a couple of clubs. Oh, wow. Oh, that's like at some point you flash your ID and they go, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. And that's, and that's where I, I, I think, uh, you know, but that comes into, what we've got down here at number seven is the ability to manage ourselves, have, have autonomy and be disciplined. And I just, I've seen a lot of people kind of, whether we realize it or not, this always makes me think of someone who started reporting to me and she had reported to somebody else in the department and she was an intern at the time. So she worked Monday through Thursday and she went to classes on Friday and she started reporting to me. And uh, she said to me, she's like, well, I'm, I'm not an intern anymore, but I'm still hoping that I could Friday. And she's basically trying to ask me nicely. And she, I could see she was a little concerned. Am I going to be a hard ass about her schedule? And I just laughed at her because I was like, oh, man, you're going to have a tough time because I will not be the person managing your time. Like, I don't care if I don't see you all week if you're getting everything that you need it done. And it's not getting in the way of the job. I said, but what's hard about that is you no longer have someone else imposing a structure on you. You're no longer part time. Your salary. So you're the one that's going to have to tell yourself to go home. You're the one that's going to have to manage expectations of everybody else. And I said, and I think it's going to be harder before it gets easier for you. And it was for her and she figured it out eventually. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if she really knew what I was talking about till she was in it. And that's what I see people at home. So many managers are worried that their employees aren't going to be working and doing what they're supposed to do. And I, I disagree. I find that 
it's actually the opposite. How do you help your employees set some boundaries so that they can have some level of sanity and not burn out like a match? Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're that's what we're up against right now, because a lot of people are getting burned out because they are being they feel like they are being time managed instead of project managed or, you know, uh, task managed. That are no managed at all. And they're just waking up and the day is sliding by. And, you know, it's it's everyone that I've ever talked to that when they first uh, get to work from home or their situation changes and they're not working anymore and they're like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. And I'm like, it is quicksand. If you don't have a schedule, if you don't have a things to do list, the day will fill up like quicksand and other things will suck your time. You cannot allow other people to dictate your schedule. And that includes your work and the fact that no work is going on. I'm, I am, I am so, you know, free spirit and I hate schedules and I wish I didn't have to go by one, but what I've learned is without one, everything feels blobby and, and unproductive. And it's one thing on vacation to not have a schedule because, you know, the seven days that you're not doing a schedule is still your schedule and you come back home and there's a reason why people need a vacation from their vacation. It's, it's, it's actually exhausting. You don't feel as, as there's not as much predictability and that type of thing. And I don't recommend scheduling your vacation, but you working from home is not a vacation and your kids, your roommate, your spouse, they will suck your time dry. And so will your coworkers and your manager. If you have no structure to offer. That actually kind of uh, slides into my next one, which was, uh, I have it labeled here as uh, peer pressure, but really it's uh, internalized uh, pressure can be a force for good as well. So finding that pressure that you can apply to yourself to uh, make sure that you have uh, that long view that we talked about earlier by ordering and creating some kind of structure to the chaos the chaos of not knowing what the day is going to look like, the chaos of what is my, you know, uh, what's going to come my way today, what emergency, if you are working in a uh, responsive or reactive environment, what's going to come my way today that I have to take care of? Well, you have your core things that you know you need to take care of. You've already kind of created that pressure and that structure for yourself. It's also an opportunity to kind of exert, I'm calling it peer pressure, but uh, establish your brand and set the tone, whether you're an essential worker that's going in face to face with people, uh, and you've decided I'm going to show up positive every day and see uh, how infectious this attitude is not the coronavirus, but the attitude. We already know (laughs) coronavirus is infectious. Uh, (laughs) Or in a virtual environment, hey, this is an opportunity. I see a a problem with the team that I'm working with or the company that I'm currently collaborating with. I see an opportunity, not a problem, but an opportunity to kind of maybe use this new environment we find ourselves in as leverage to uh, model behaviors that I would like to see in other people. Small example, I'm currently uh, working on a team and with an organization that before the whole lockdown, it's it just does not share video on Zoom calls. Uh, everybody is anonymous, Ooh. which I feel like takes a little bit of accountability out of the game um, because you can really easily multitask and uh, mute yourself and pretend to be, you can be a passive participant, which is really no kind of a participant at all while you're doing other stuff and you get credit for being on the call, but that was not impactful for you. You didn't get the opportunity to really uh, react, respond, 
So I have been showing up at every meeting and I am sure it's obnoxious. It sticks out like a sore thumb. I'm the only one sharing my video. <laughs> um, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm trying to uh, slowly but surely exert a little bit of, uh, of peer pressure by modeling the behaviors, not to get in a preachy way like, hey, why doesn't everybody share their screen? But hopefully, you know, if you want something from other people, you got to make sure that you continue to show up even when it's uncomfortable, because probably the reason other people are not doing it is because it's uncomfortable. I think that's a good point. I, I, you know, on a side note, I think there is some level of over zooming if, if, if I can be frank, like where I get that there's the, that it's easy to tap out if you're just on a phone call and, and no one can see you, but um, I take better notes. I'm able to focus more on what the person's saying versus do, you know, am I showing up engaged? How am I showing up in this meeting? I get to just kind of sit back and go, what's everyone saying? What do they need from me? How do I, how do I track that? So when I get off the call, I'm ready to go do something. So I think there's the, there's a, there's a, there's a balance I think people should look for. I like the Zoom in terms of creating some level of personal connection. I don't think every call needs. Now, I've got every client that I speak to now, everyone that I work with, there's this level of even friends who are like, let's Zoom. And I'm like, do a phone call. It's cool. It's, it's cool. Like, we're not looking at each other now. We're doing a podcast together. And I find it divine, you know? So there's a level of, I don't, it, it, it takes less emotional energy. So I can put that energy into other things. And I think, I think where it, it's, it, and everyone's different. So everyone's got a different style, but um, I think with that peer pressure and being a force for good, you know, something that I thought about while you were talking and just kind of that internalized pressure is something, this goes a little bit to what I said before the self-management. So I'm kind of backwards tying it. Um, but I think it's a really important for people to put pressure on themselves to do something scheduled to start their day every morning that starts their day, uh, you know, whether it's, I remember that some military leader had this video that went viral and he talks to everyone about make your bed so that, you know, you were productive that day. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not a bed maker, but when I first started consulting, I would, I immediately started working with a trainer around that time. And I would have an appointment every morning to go train before my work day. And by the time I came home, I was ready to get stuff done. And what I noticed is when this happened, and of course, we're not training anymore, and he's not the type to want to go do this the stuff uh, by video. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to do this. And my days were just getting sucked. And so finally, I was like, no, I'm going to get up and I'm going to have that same routine and just do it on my own, mainly less for the fitness and more for the, I need my days to feel more productive and sane. And my days are never you know, they were never set up to be a predictable schedule. It's part of the reason why I like consulting. So I understand the whole, I don't know what will happen at two o'clock. I don't know because of that. Well, then do you know what's going to happen at 5 a.m.? Do you know that you have that time or whatever time slot it is so that you can start the day off right out of the gate? And that's the pressure you put on yourself um, so that the rest of the day doesn't seem like it's, it's driving you versus you driving it. Imposed structure. Makes so much sense. Yes. By forcing yourself to uh, to do that, I'm going to call out that actually leads into your next uh, your next point in the top 10. Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. And, and that's the thing is like me doing it for myself is one thing. And I think that's the thing is if you don't have something that starts off your day where you're in the driver's seat and you're making decisions about whether a schedule works for you, other people will decide it for you. And, um, I, you know, I, I think two sides of the audience need to listen to this is the employee 
Like, how do you get out in front of this so that the manager doesn't feel the need to have to follow up with you? You're going to need to over-communicate. You're going to need to keep them in the loop so that they don't have to check on you. On the other side, I'm seeing a lot of managers struggle with, um, you know, how do I make sure that they're being productive and not taking advantage of this time or not being, you know, slackers or whatever and that type of thing. And I think, I think, you know, talking to people in a more humane way and just sitting with them on a weekly basis on a one-on-one and going, Heather, you know, what do you got going on this week? What do you have going on at home? Uh, what are some projects that you think are important to focus on? If there's no work right now because everything's paused, what are some proactive things that you think are worth investing some time in? How do you know, what would be a deliverable at the end of this week that feels like it's doable, but also helping the business? And then that way you're setting goals. It's not this formal process. It's very much collaborative. And, you know, then you can start to have some conversations around, hey, this isn't happening. And not from a, this isn't happening, when are you going to get it done and let me performance manage you? But more from a, hey, this isn't happening. What is getting in the way of that? And, you know, I've got one manager who was just chomping at the bit, like, I've got to, this person wasn't doing their job before shelter at home. How do I lock them in? And I said, this isn't the time to kind of prove that they're lazy. This would be the ideal time for you and him to have a better relationship set up. You know, start to talk to each other, start to gym like a human being versus this, this guy who is just sucking a paycheck. My thing is, is you're trying to performance manage people. You can't possibly really track their performance. I don't think right now is the time to be worried about whether or not you're writing people up or, you know, finding people that need to be let go for performance reasons, because this is not a work from home normal dynamic where you set performance criteria up and they agreed and you both agreed that this was the right way to get the work done and they took the job that way. Everybody got forced to work from home and shelter at home. And a lot of people are dealing with spouses that got out of work or that lost their jobs, uh, roommates that lost their jobs, children that don't that can't go to school that now are there full time. And I think it's really ridiculous to sit there and even put the pressure on managers that they're they're cracking the whip. Like now's the now's the time to show up humanely and demonstrate to employees, you know, what it's like for them to start to make better choices for themselves and in, invest in the job that they're in. And I think they want to do that. I, I, I really don't think anyone's just trying to skate out with whatever paycheck. If they're doing that, it's because they resent who they work for. And that ties into taking the longer view, too. You're asking when you're having that conversation with your clients, you're asking them to zoom out a little bit and say, like, OK, don't just focus on what are the deliverables that you're expecting from this employee. Just look at, you know, how can you actually help this employee? What can you do to facilitate this employee being more productive? And then from the employee's point of view as well, you said you wanted to look at this from both sides. Yeah, I think for from an employee side, and this kind of leads us to the to our last point, is accountability and personal accountability, and and understanding that, you know, you got to deliver results, and, and and that's tough. There's a lot of pressure. You may not know what to do. I found myself kind of going, how do I how do I make myself useful right now? You know, there's a there's a lull where you know clients don't they're not in a place to really book classes or you know or talk about what kind of training they're doing but how do i how do i show useful how do i deliver something that's impactful even if it's not the priority project i was working on before all this happened and this is where i think it's you have to be accountable as a business person you're still in business whether you got let go furloughed or whether you're you're working from home and maybe you're working manic hours because I've talked to people who are busier than they've ever been and they've got to get it all done from home or whether you're an essential employee and you're out there and you're 
you're saving us from ourselves, basically. Um, I think you've got to get really good at personal accountability, being able to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver on, find something to deliver on if that's not happening. If you're out of work, how are you hustling to get, go, I'll go back to the, I think point number four that we had essential work is not desperate work. We don't think that because maybe right now you need to take a job in a completely different uh, field. Um, but it's one that pays, you know, get your ego out of it, go get that job, go apply for those things. Um, but, and, and be accountable for when you drop the ball. Cause you're gonna, you're going to be human. You're going to drop the ball. These are not normal days. And you've just got to go, this is how I dropped the ball. This is how I'm going to, you know, pick the ball back up and we're going to move forward. And for those of you who are working with people and they're dropping the ball, how do you take accountability for, yeah, but I'm part of your team and you're not alone in this. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm hoping, not accountability from this whole, like, how do we hold people's feet to the fire type of thing, but how do we just show up, own our, own our place and own our humanity and own our place as a team member in this and that we're, you know, everyone's, it's been so cliche, like, oh, we're all in this together. Um, but the reality is, is we are, and it's not going to get better if you're a jackass to somebody. And, and that can be something simple as, you know, I don't know, somebody that you walk by on the street and they're not wearing the mask and you're mad that they're not wearing a mask. Like, you know, don't be a jackass about it. Who knows what their situation is. And just we're, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that we need to be thoughtful of. And learning how not to, you know, just kind of go off and see someone as the issue versus see everybody as part of this kind of intricate web that we're all trying to build a community on, I think is really important. Absolutely agreed. One of the things that I've been uh, working on in my current role is uh, helping uh, create an environment where accountability is equated with empowerment. If I'm accountable for the results, I'm empowered to change how this looks. I'm empowered to make the decisions that that make this happen. So yeah, being uh, holding yourself accountable. I love. I've been talking about uh, account reflexive verbs. I'm trying to learn Spanish. Ah, uh, not not really working for me in the Spanish. But I've <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about parts of speech because I'm a geek. Uh, and holding others accountable. That's kind of like a reflexive. Um, it's a reflexive notion. I'm holding you accountable. You know what? Really self, self accountability should be the only use of that term. We are accountable because we are empowered to change what we're doing for ourselves. Of course, we're accountable to other people for the deliver. If we, if we promise something, that's what we should be delivering, but that's more about our personal being able to, uh, to drill down and, and hold ourselves accountable for that than, um, other people being able to blame or finger point. And I agree with that. And I, I, I think there was an article that I wrote about it because I think about one of my first managers and his whole thing was, you know, you're going to make choices. Here's the options that I'm going to come to the table with. And he didn't hold us accountable. He didn't go like, oh, I, you know, you did this wrong and now I'm going to hold you accountable. He just went, you did this. So I'm going to hold myself accountable as the manager to deliver on the consequences I told you I would. And, and that's him holding himself accountable to be the manager and go, look, you steal from my cash register. I told you I'd call the police. So I held myself accountable. I called the police. <laughs> like you're making your choices. I'm letting you know that I meant it when I said, these are things I would do based on those choices. And, and that's where, cause you know, I, I remember when I wrote the article, people were like, well, you, you can't just throw accountability out the window. And that's what they took from that. And I think that's because people think if, um, if you're not holding others accountable, it's that fear of losing control. And it's such a lie to ourselves. You don't have control over anybody else. You only have control over yourself. 
So to your point, it's so empowering to go, I actually don't have to hold anybody accountable. I do have to hold myself accountable. Am I stepping up and having the tough conversations? Am I stepping up and making the tough decisions um, the way that my role dictates when things aren't delivered the way that they were expected? That's the accountability that a manager really needs. Not this, I'm here to rake you over the coals until you, you, you know, like I had a manager one time go, I'm so disappointed in you. And I'm like, I don't, you don't get to be disappointed. You didn't raise me. What do you mean you're disappointed in me? <laughs> like, oh, you gave birth to me and now this is all I've, I've amounted to in, in, in life. Like, I, take your, <laughs> I'm like, but you're allowed to be disappointed in the results and the outcome by all means, because that's personal to you. But you disappointed in me. Like, oh, I didn't care if my mom was disappointed in me. Like, now all of a sudden I'm going to worry about my manager being disappointed in me. Like, pay for my college. Then we'll talk about, like, you're disappointed in me. But, you know, that's, I think that was their attempt to hold me accountable. And I'm like, they would have just said, hey, this is how this impacted me. You dropped the ball. And now, you know, my, my, I'm in a situation where I either can't work with you, I can't trust you on this, or I need to see you do something different so that I can move forward. What's going to, what's going to be your choice? Like that to me is, I'm, I'm open for that discussion all day long, but don't, don't come at me like you're going to hold me accountable. Like that's, you know, (laughs) not going to happen, not going to happen. We're accountable for our reactions and responses to what other people are bringing to the table, good or bad, Absolutely. Um, which zooms us out to that long view, which I really feel like has been a through line in both of our top tens is zooming out to the long view. What can you do in this moment? What can you do in this day that's going to set you up down the road? We don't know what the next two weeks is going to look like. We don't know what it looks like after that. Whatever phase we're in, if we are... Uh, if we're wearing our masks, riding goats down the street, because it's the year of the goat. Uh, <laughs> and suddenly we find out that goats are impervious to coronavirus. And that's our new totem. I bet you, I bet you goat's milk <laughs> is like the cure. Don't quote me on that. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Let's hold an NIH conference right now. Goat's milk is the answer. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've got a feeling it would float in with a couple of the other announcements that have been out there. So. <laughs> Who knows? But uh... goats are the greatest of all time for uh, for the time and place that they find themselves. Their stubbornness gets them through what they need to get through. And maybe it's our stubbornness that we're going to call on to uh, to get us through this moment in time. I love it. And then and then can I just add from Jason? Yes. (laughs) I've got kids, goats and a wife. I'm happy. I mean, that, I'm, you go, merman, (laughs) Aquaman, (laughs) because this is clearly some random thing, but it seems like something he'd say. It sounds pretty Jason Momoa. (laughs) Yeah, very Jason Momoa. Way to go, Jason. All right, on that note. (laughs) On that note, we want to hear from you, especially if uh, you have a goat or want to let us borrow a goat for our next goat to meeting. Uh, (laughs) you've got a question or a story you want to share that has to do with anything that we talked about on this show or any previous episode, or if you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind, or if you just want to tell us what you think, uh, tweet us at LMTP Consulting, message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us at lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for joining us in uh, our ongoing 
coronavirus series. <laughs> and we will probably be in exactly the same spots next month coming at you again for the next episode. Well, I, I, yes. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Until then. Until then. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.